Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Season with Peter Schrager, a brand new episode as we head towards the July 4th weekend. Uh, I'm hoping that a lot of people are off the next few days and they've got long drives to see friends or long drives to visit family, and they're just going to listen and binge this podcast. So I was debating whether we do one this week, and I'm like, you know what? I think that might be the ideal time to do a podcast heading into the holiday weekend. And we've got a great guest in Kellen Moore, who's the new offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Chargers. I've known Kellen Moore for many years as a coach, but obviously before then he was an NFL player with the Cowboys and the Lions. And before that, he was the quarterback at Boise State, um, where he started all his years there and is currently still and it still holds the record for most wins as a quarterback in college football history. Uh, still a young guy in his early 30s and made a big move. He, whether it was voluntary or whether it was assumed that this is what we had, he's no longer in Dallas after being in Dallas his entire coaching career, and he is now with the Los Angeles Chargers with Justin Herbert. We're going to get into a deep conversation with Kellen in a minute. I just wanted to give a quick preview of like what to look for this weekend, and this is this is fun. Um, Monday night is the party of the year. I will not be invited. I've never been invited. None of my colleagues in the media have been invited, but a gentleman named Michael Rubin, who owns the company Fanatics, throws a massive banger of a party in Bridgehampton, New York, um, on the water. And I would alert everybody now to get ahead of it now, as opposed to on Tuesday morning, checking uh, TMZ and Page Six and Dumois and whatever other sites you want. But this is the party to be at. And I know several NFL owners will be in attendance. I know in other years, um, NFL superstars have been there. I got to think uh, you're going to get your Joel Embiid, your Jay-Z, uh, Kevin Durant in recent years. Basically, uh, Michael has two parties a year. One of them is the Super Bowl party, which I have been to, and I was lucky enough to be invited to. And I was told straight up, you will never be invited to the July 4th party. But the Super Bowl party is like where they let everyone in that, uh, you know, at least knows Michael or works with the NFL or Fanatics. And I, you know, it's still a cool party to be at. And it was amazing this year. Uh, to go. I basically sat in the corner talking to Damar Hamlin, Micah Parsons, Jerry Jones, uh, David Tepper, and, you know, Rand, uh, Rich Eisen, like random, like you just pick it out of the thing. If you've seen this guy on TV, have you seen this person's name in the headlines? They're at the Michael Rubin Super Bowl party. Then the list like whittles down a lot. And he was actually on uh, the Barstool podcast, part of my take, and he was explaining it, that he only has 75 people get invited to this thing. But like, it's the leading influencers and it's the leading athletes and it's the leading owners in sports. So I'm curious to see who made the cut this year. I've told Michael in person that I believe he should stream online on like, I don't know if they have a fanatics.com, but they should do 
uh, an arrival show and have hosts and and interview the people coming in. Like this is a bigger party than anything at uh, at the Oscars. Uh, the Oscars. I, Tom Cruise didn't even show up to the Oscars this year. Uh, they, some of the other bigger stars were not. I don't know who the biggest. I guess Colin Farrell is the biggest A list star at the Oscars. I would argue that Michael's party in the Hamptons, in the vein of like the P Diddy white party from years ago, is going to have a better guest list. So I'm curious to see who got the cut, who made the cut, and then we'll see who performs and all that. And that's the important stuff you're listening to in July when it comes to NFL football. Uh, do we think other news? Yeah, go on. Aaron. Following up from last week's show, do we think Victor Wembanyama is going to get a, an invite? Ooh, does Victor go? Does Wemby go? Yeah, he was in New York. He's not anymore, but he could come no. back. Um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say Wemby's got to earn those stripes first. I think we're going to get Embiid. I think we're going to get Harden. Those guys are like, those yeah. guys are mainstays at all these things. Um, and I think you're going to get uh, Durant. NFL-wise, Micah Parsons has been very tight with, with Michael Rubin. They've been seen out together. I think that will be a definite. And then I'm wondering if we get the the, the big one. I don't know. Does number TB12? He's no longer playing. He doesn't have to be anywhere. He's a single man from what we know. It's, t- it's Tom Brady rolling through. We'll see. That's going to be the, the big question for me. Um, other quick things. The NFLPA announced a new director. That was a bit of a surprise. No one saw that coming. They announced their new executive director. So we'll get into that um, at another date, and we'll talk about who he is and what his experience is and how that all went down. I find it pretty interesting. Um, and then a much smaller piece of news. Today, in Tampa Bay, they signed extensions with three of their top front office people, which I think is interesting. Everyone thinks the Buccaneers are going to rebuild eventually. And that this might be one of those years where the, after Brady and I'll go, they, they signed big contracts with three different front office executives. One of them, Michael Greenberg, um, known as Greeny around the league, who handles all the salary cap stuff. He's an assistant general manager along with John Spytek. He's an assistant general manager. These guys have been there forever. And then Jackie Davidson, who came over from the Jets, um, has been there for at least five years, and she got promoted to a new title as well. So uh, very interesting that the Buccaneers are like, hey, you know what? I know it was Brady, but we uh, we also believe in the front office we've built. With all that said, we've now given you our July 4th um, party preview. And again, it's Monday night, so not July 4th. It's Monday, which is July 3rd. Keep your eyes on TMZ and the page six and all that. This is the stuff we live for, guys. Um, Fanatics party. We'll see who is in the house, who made the cut, and who didn't. Uh, and then other than that, we'll keep an eye on all the different adventures from all these players and and coaches and owners all enjoying their vacations right now because the NFL is shutting it down for a few weeks before we get to training camp. With no further ado, I'm excited for this one. Here's Kellen Moore. So excited for our next guest, as I mentioned in the monologue. Uh, covered him as a player when he was with the Lions. Covered him as a player when he was with the Cowboys. Then, of course, as one of uh, the great offensive minds for the Cowboys. And now he's with the Los Angeles Chargers, and he's on the season with Peter Schrager. Kellen Moore, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm fired up. So excited to have you, man. And uh, it's it's kind of a cool part of your career right now. You, you've left the nest, if you will. You've been in Dallas all these years, and now you're joining the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, the announcement was made in, in January or so. Tell us what it's been like first six months uh, with the Chargers and working with Justin Herbert specifically. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been so much fun. I mean, uh, yeah, we were fortunate. We were in Dallas for eight years, very much became home. And so uh, all our kids pretty much, they, they only knew Dallas. And so uh, we loved it there, had a ton of fun. Eight years in the NFL, uh, we know how this, the cycle of this thing sometimes goes. And so we were fortunate. 
And uh, it worked out great. It, it was awesome. I was fired up to be able to come down here to the Chargers to work with Brandon. We kind of connected last year. We did a joint practice with uh, the Dallas Cowboys and the, the LA Chargers. And so that was kind of the initial uh, connection there. And so we connected, uh, stayed in contact like so many people do in this profession. And, uh, you know, it happened fast, but it worked out great. And so we were fired up to get down here. It was a fun change of scenery. And uh, it, it's been just a ton of fun just kind of building this thing from the ground up with everyone, just kind of collaborating, starting with Justin and the rest of the staff. And so it's been a ton of fun. It was fun. I was at the Combine in Indianapolis and you walked by and I recognized your face, of course, and I knew it was you, but you had all Chargers stuff on. I'm like, oh, that's different. Okay, I guess this is it. And it probably feels different for him too. Um, yeah. is, there a, is there a big adjustment period? I know coaches jump place to place, but for someone like you who is with the Cowboys for the end of your NFL playing career and then, of course, all your coaching career so far, um, does it feel like it's a new beginning or does it feel like, hey, this is the gig and just put me wherever I have to be? It definitely feels new, which is exciting. When, when I was in Dallas, I was fortunate. I was around, you know, Jason was the head coach at the time, and, and I was fortunate to kind of be able to transition into the coaching side because of him and Scott Lenahan and those guys who were down there at the time, and then and then to stay through through the transition to Mike. And so uh, there's always kind of been an established situation there. And so, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a smoother transition. And so this one's been really exciting just because it's really – a you know, Brandon certainly has uh, runs the defense and, and this is kind of a clean slate on offense. And and so it's been a lot of fun just building it, you know, taking pieces that were already in place here. Things that uh, Justin's done such a good job with that we want to definitely keep and keep uh, incorporating and don't lose sight on any of those things. Bring some Dallas stuff. And then the third part was just, hey, let's go explore together and let's have fun building this thing. It's fun because I had Nathaniel Hackett on last week and it's it's not a similar situation because he's been with Rodgers and the only thing that I said was, okay, now Salah's the defensive head coach, and you kind of have the green light. And for years, he was with Marone, and then he was, of course, with LaFleur, who were offensive coaches. You're similarly in that kind of boat, which you just referenced, that Staley's a defensive mastermind. He's also a great head coach, but he's not going to be calling plays over your head, or he's not going to have input on this stuff. This is maybe your first opportunity where you're the guy to call the plays and run the offense without an offensive head coach above you on the org chart. It is a different dynamic. It, it is fun just from the standpoint of uh, – you know, us just building it however we want. Uh, you know, it is fun to kind of do those recap meetings. Brandon and I tend to tend to gravitate to each other towards the end of the day just to recap, okay, what happened on each side of the ball? What did we meet about? And uh, those are always really fun conversations. Uh, a lot of the offensive coaches sometimes roll their eyes as I'm going into Brandon's office because they're like, he, he might be in there for 15 minutes, he might be in there for two hours. <laughs> we really don't know. And, you know. and Brandon and I just kind of start recapping all of a sudden. The coolest part of it, I think, is – you get that perspective of a defensive head coach, you yeah. know, and so when you're talking to him and sharing kind of your plan or vision, uh, he can spin it from the other side of, you know, just kind of, okay, if we're on the defense side, this is how I'd see it. This is, this is something you may want to consider. And so all those conversations have been just so much fun. We, we have good morning football during the year and we do the show five days a week and it's three hours and we're always on in the morning and it's always talking about the young quarterbacks and it's like Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, and I'm always chiming in, <clears throat> Herbert, Herbert. And it's like, until he has that big playoff success, or maybe until he has that huge prime, he might not be considered the same way those guys are. But you've had a chance to watch this young man for a couple months now. Uh, what does he bring to the table? Because I think there are some throws that he throws that I, I don't know if anyone else in the NFL can even attempt. Yeah, no, no doubt. J Justin's been phenomenal. I think, A, the person, awesome person one of the simplest people I've ever met, you know, that, explain that. Cause I, I, I kind of <laughs> know, but I don't see it day to day. 
I just, I just see the one of the simpler people in the world for for his situation and the uh, potential out there for him as a as a person off the field. Uh, very simple person. I mean, came in when I got here. I mean, he just basically did rehab. He'd come in for a couple hours, do rehab. You run into him. He'd he'd head head out. Maybe he'd go up to Eugene and you know be back in the in the hometown. And other than that, you know, he didn't explore a whole lot. And so. He's been awesome, awesome to work with. He's been a ton of fun uh, just collaborating on this thing. When you step on the field, certainly you see the physical ability. I laugh because uh, as a coach, you teach, you know, this is the install. This is the progression. Here's some alerts, you know, if you get these certain looks. And then he just goes out there and rips a throw and you just kind of look at the back of QBs and say, hey, first of all, don't try that. (laughs) Second of all, I would have never considered throwing that, but maybe we should start considering that. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah. uh, And I guess with your offense, with him, like you guys put up such huge numbers in Dallas for years and there was a vertical game and there's a downfield game. And if you read the Chargers blogs or you listen to the Chargers podcast, (laughs) the assumption is like, all right, it's going to be bombs away Air Coriel style here with Kellen and and Justin. Um, Just a sneak peek a little bit. Like what do you hope to unleash in this offense out of this quarterback who obviously has that cannon arm and the smarts to, to know when to use it and when not to? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, certainly everyone wants us to throw it deep every place. So we'll see if that works. Uh, you know, we'll test it out. But, uh, you know, I think what it allows us to do is, you know, Justin's such a smart decision maker. It allows you to really call it in an, in an aggressive manner. And he does such a great job. We always say aggressively take what they give us. Like if they give us these shots, they give us something vertical. We got these skill players that we feel really, really good about. Just take them. Just go for it. You know, and, and if not, take the completion, take the check down. Austin's going to catch a check down and t- get you another first down. And then we'll call another one. And so I think the mentality of that has been the way we've been kind of training at this certain entire offseason. And certainly we, I think we got the guys to be able to execute those things. Yeah, I can, see, I can hear the excitement in your voice. You mentioned him being um, just a simple dude. Like I remember during the pre-draft buildup, he goes on, he wins Rose Bowl MVP, wins Senior Bowl MVP. Uh, shows up and like blows everyone away at the combine, competes at the combine, and the talk was like literally it was, and it it was real. It was is he vocal enough? Is he? And I talked to Staley, and he's like vocal enough. Like he's the leader. He's the alpha in our in our building. Yeah. And it, that that when you're a you know starter and you're a Heisman guy and all this stuff that like you're talked about, it's hard not to be a leader in the building. And this guy is that leader. It's just maybe we don't see it on commercials or on Instagram every day. Would you agree that's kind of the case? A hundred percent. I think like anyone, you grow into leadership, you know, it, it gets, it gets bigger and bigger, better and better, however you want to view it each and every year. I mean, this is fourth year, uh, you know, and, and based off everything I've seen and experienced with and around him, you know, this year he's been phenomenal. He, he's had presence. He's, he's been very open and willing to stand up in front of the entire room on offense, share his perspective, give, give uh, feedback to players uh, when he steps on the field, there's there's no real uh, questioning who's who's the alpha, who's the leader of this thing. I, he takes command, takes charge, and it's been really fun to see. They played the Raiders on a Thursday night two years ago, and it was the first time Aikman and Buck were doing a Chargers game with Herbert, and he made a pass across his body, and Aikman just like is like, oh my god, like, he just like lost it. And I'm like, that's what he has the capability of. And then you add in this what I would call just what it seems like. A, a, a professional football team, but also potentially an NBA starting five at receiver with the height that you guys have. It's a yeah. really cool mix. And then you add in Quentin Johnson, who's a big dude. You got to be excited to have all these tools and these weapons here with this offense. Yeah, a uh, ton of versatility on the offense, which I think we're really, really excited about. You know, use guys in different positions, align them in different ways and utilize all that. Uh, 
certainly we, we like to say like we're you know we got so much height on this team we're gonna be throwing in a different jet stream you know like <laughs> these guys you know we got Q and uh, Keenan and Mike and Gerald and you know sneak Austin in there from the backfield and, yeah uh, all these other guys that are our depth guys and so uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun and then a great offensive line. We know that yep. Slater goes down and then this kid Sellier shows up last year. And then obviously with the rookie Zion, like their offensive line was awesome last year, despite major injuries. One of my favorite things was the, uh, when I first got here, we spent our first week and because the, the, the offensive staff was pretty much the same other than the quarterback coach, Doug Nussmeyer came from Dallas. It was the same staff that had been here last year. And so the first week I basically just sat there and listened to everyone. And so yeah. it, it was a really cool, they basically went through the roster and everyone gave their, uh, perspective on every player that was currently on our roster. When we got to the offensive line, it was so much fun to just to hear the journey that all these guys took and to see, cool. the, you know, these, uh, you know, Jamari pop in there and, you know, just. What was he, a, six, a sixth round pick and played left tackle in the NFL? Pick, yeah. Team? A rookie? Like, that's incredible. Yeah. And just like from the first snap, just like, okay, I'll take over this left tackle spot. That's no, nothing big for me. I played at Georgia. I played four years at Georgia. Nothing's that big to me. But it's a really cool group. You know, it's a really young group that's developing and kind of coming together. And then you got Corey in the middle kind of as that veteran anchor center. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's like this perfect blend for those guys. I love it. Um, your story is so cool. Take us back to Prosser, Washington, what that town is, how many people, <laughs> and how in the world you made it out of there to be, uh, you know, uh, an NFL offensive coordinator and obviously soon to be a head coach. Yeah. So we were just there this past week. What's uh, we it always like? make our, make our rounds <laughs> through Prosser, Washington. If anyone knows that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't know where that is, but, uh, it's a town of 6,000 people, Southeastern Washington, it's not the rainy Seattle. It's the desert on the east side. No one knows that half the people in the world don't know there's a desert side I did of not know there was a desert part of Washington. This yeah, is a, so an admission. All right. It's all agriculture and all that good stuff. But a uh, small little town. My dad was our high school coach. So he was the head football coach for uh, for really, you know, forever uh, until we got to college. But uh, it kind of had that Friday Night Lights feel to it. You yeah. know, like uh, that's that's how I grew up. I, I grew up wanting to be a Prosser Mustang, all honesty. I didn't really, you know, college or something. Yeah, you'd love to do that. You'd love to do the NFL. But like Prosser Mustangs, like that's the best thing ever. Those are all my idols growing up, you know. And so maybe a couple legends from the program from before you. I love this stuff. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I'm number 11 because of Dan Marchant. He was, he was number 11. He's a receiver. I was getting right into the, uh, right into the youth football stage. And I was like, Dan's my guy. I want to be 11. Forget yeah. Randy Moss, forget Chris Carter, forget yeah. any of the Seahawks. Like, that's my guy, Marchant. Yep. Yep. Dan. So, uh, you know, there's all these quarterbacks, Tyler Thomas, who uh, there weren't a ton of guys who ever like went yeah. to like division one. There was only a couple of us. Tyler Thomas ended up going to Oregon State. He was a oh, quarterback. Cool. Uh, man, I can go on and on. I, I yeah. can give you every single quarterback. from. But I love that. that and, and this is a town that I've, I've read up on it. Two stoplights, right? Two traffic lights? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We upgrade. We got three now. Three. I was there okay. this past week. Yeah, we got Are we three. talking like an Outback, an Applebee's? Is that even there? Or is it like the general no, store? No, no, no. Okay. McDonald's, uh, KFC, Taco Bell. It's a, it's a hybrid, which is unique. Uh, yeah. Starbucks. Uh, okay. The Bucks made it there right from yeah, Seattle. Starbucks, yeah, you got to have a Starbucks. It's kind of on your way from one place to the other. They snuck a Starbucks in there. But other than that, uh, a couple local restaurants and uh, that's about it. And I know you would go to these Boise State youth football camps, right? Is that mm -hmm. part of your childhood? And I guess your father would bring you to the blue field like what where did that Boise State <laughs> thing come from yeah so uh when I was really young my dad uh so he was our obviously our head football coach they would go to like a team football camp so they'd bring the entire high school team to these camps and they spend a week there and uh early it was always at Boise 
So they'd always go there. Uh, so we always kind of had this, uh, you know, fondness of Boise. I, I remember it as a child, child. And so, uh, as a high school coach's kid, you kind of, what your spring breaks are and what your summers are is pretty much hopping around the colleges. Uh, spring break was usually, you know, going to some college practices and just kind of, you know, rolling with all these high school coaches that you, your dad is around. And so that was my childhood. That, that was very much normalized football for me. And, uh, you know, that, that's what I did. When you got recruited to Boise State, is this, because I don't have the timeline in front of me. So everyone remembers the Fiesta Bowl. It's Adrian Peterson in Oklahoma and Jared Zabransky and Ian Johnson in Boise. Knock them yep. off. Were you on that team? Were you being recruited to be on that team? I know you came after Zabransky, so I'm not sure if you were like a red shirt or you were yeah. a backup or what. No, so I'm a senior in high school. I'm at the okay. game. I'm down in that end zone. Yep, I went to the game. I was already committed to Boise, so I was... Uh, uh, I was all wrapped up and ready to go. And, uh, yeah, I was at the game. It was awesome. It, it so was the proposal awesome. at the end, I was in the end zone you were in or no? Yep. I was right down that end zone. Yep. So <laughs> you get there, uh, and then Boise becomes one of the preeminent programs in, in the country. You guys would roll off the wins. Um, for the listeners, you are the all time leader and wins as a quarterback, which is an amazing feat. And it comes up anytime a young quarterback like Desmond Ritter came out. I think he's third, maybe. And it was mentioned <laughs> literally every time Ritter like had anything going on. Every time he tells yeah. the Falcons, um, your experience in in Boise, Idaho, and playing for for that team. Uh, what would you say your biggest takeaway was from that whole entire four year span? Yeah, it, it was just this uh, utopia of a culture. Chris Peterson's the absolute best. He has this perfect blend of, you know. He spends so much time, I think, on the culture and the environment. He really calls it an environment because everyone uses the word culture. But yeah. uh, just just building this environment that allows everyone to kind of blossom. And so uh, I always remember two things there. Uh, one being, you know, how much time he spent on building the program, building the right kind of people. The, uh, you know, every Friday, you know, we'd play on Saturdays, obviously. And every Friday night, you know, you have that team meeting that everyone's supposed to get all jacked up and fired up for a football game on, you know, right? And you're all college kids. And we'd spend the whole time and he's talking about life, you know, like that's what the whole meeting is about. Something different about life. It was called Bronco magic. And I still have the sheets of paper and it was like, you know, it it was one of the coolest things that I thought brought perspective. So here you got this huge game, a huge game against Nevada coming up and you've got like two ranked teams going to be on national TV and he's giving you life lessons the night before a game. Yeah. Yeah. It's some poem (laughs) (laughs) Poem about life. I love it. (laughs) And it was awesome. It, It was absolutely awesome. It was also a unique team because, uh, as most people probably know, Boise, Idaho doesn't exactly have 20 Division One players rolling around, you know, the state. And so it was this super diverse team. I mean, we had people from all across the country, all across the world. We had guys from Netherlands, Canada, Florida, New Jersey, California. You know, I was kind of part of the little uh, small Northwest crew. Yeah. Uh, and so you had this huge diversity of this team. And so it was a really cool melting pot of just bringing all these guys together. And I think that's one of the things that I always... Uh, we were talking about as a as a team, as an offense, uh, right before we broke, about how this football thing brings us to people we never connect with in any other way. And and that's one of the coolest things, you know, like uh, even with the Chargers right now, like the guys that you get to meet, it's like, I, I would have never met this person if I wasn't a part of this cool NFL journey or college football journey, whatever it may be. And so that's what's really fun. It's awesome. Um, I always say that, you know, there's all these issues in the country and there's divide and division. And that's fine. It, it exists. It's going to exist. So it, you kind of go in that locker room and you see that they're like, there's almost like a glimmer of hope. Like, all right, if that guy can gel with that guy and they could put it all together, despite their difference in backgrounds, maybe there's a chance, you know, like, and yeah. I don't know if that's too pie in the sky, but I think that's what you're getting at. 
No, we, cer- we certainly feel that way. All right. Left-handed quarterback, obviously, at Boise. Was that held against you, you think, as you entered the NFL draft? As that thing kind of w- w- faded away? I think at one point, in the last couple of years before Tua, there were no left-handed quarterbacks. Yeah. It, it reminds me of like a question. You know, it's like a ridiculous question. Like, so, you know, what's it like being a left-handed quarterback? Well, I've always been a left-handed quarterback, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah. But there were, you know, Steve Young, Michael Vick, all those guys, probably yeah. when you were growing up, and then it kind of faded away. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely, I think a lot of people got smarter. They went to baseball, you know, you're a lefty, all that sort of stuff. You should probably go play that sport instead. But, uh, no, yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly something that I think is a unique dynamic. Uh, to be honest, I think there was some feedback going into the NFL that like, Hey, if our starter's not a lefty, like we really don't want to have a lefty behind them, you know? Yeah. And, and now the game was a lot more under center. Uh, the game's become a lot more of a shotgun game. And so it's, uh, I think there's more flexibility and it's an easier transition. But, uh, yeah, when I got in the league, I think there's six or seven yeah. lefties. Let's go through them. Cause I mean, it was probably you. And then I'm thinking like Tyler Thigpen, right. Or Palco, which one of those, one of those Palco. guys was lefty. Yep. Palco, Palco. Canfield from, uh, yep. Oregon State. Sean Canfield, is that his name, right? Yeah, yeah. Sean Canfield, Michael Vick, Tim Tebow, Matt Leinert. Pat Pat White might have been, you know, Pat I don't know White if he's playing quarterback anymore, but okay. Pat, Pat actually coaches with us, so we got a Does couple he? lefties on the staff. Yeah, so That's cool. we're fired up. We, we, we got to keep the lefties together. But uh, there, there's one or two more. But at one point, it was a little bit more uh, normal. And lo and behold, uh, we went through a point where I think there was a couple years, two or three years, where there's we had none. no lefties. No. And finally, Tua, Tua came and saved the day. So hopefully we get a couple more. Uh, yeah, the way the, the world moves, whatever. So the Dolphins' job becomes open after they let go of Brian Flores. You interview for that job. Do you come in with like a PowerPoint deck saying like, I am the lefty quarterback guy. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? I know the job eventually yeah. goes to Mike McDaniel and it's all going to work out for everyone. But you got to think that was your pitch, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm a lefty. He's a lefty. We, you know, I'm the one guy I can teach him. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel him. This is it. Oh. It is interesting though that like you said the baseball stuff and you know we talk about specialization in sports and now youths are told like you pick this one sport I've heard you speak on it before you don't believe in that right play all sports yeah I'm wired. I'm a I'm a small town kid we we played every sport we grew up together as the same pack of kids we went from football to basketball to baseball at one point I eventually kind of you know didn't do baseball but I stuck with football and basketball all the way to the end and so. Uh, I think it's huge. I think it's so important. I think there's too many examples across our league, across other leagues of guys who uh, played a lot of different things and all those skills kind of translate to something in the end. It works out. Um, one of my favorite men in the NFL, and I know a mentor of yours is Jim Caldwell. When you were in Detroit, you obviously were under his guise and he, he speaks with such a I don't what, what, reverence. Like what, I don't even know how to yeah. say it. When Jim talks, like everyone listens and he doesn't speak off and he's not yelling. He's not I guess my question is just the Jim Caldwell experience for those who don't know, like when you play in that offense on that team with him as a head coach, that soothing voice and yet those life lessons he always gives. Yeah, it it was such a cool experience for me because being in the NFL, you think college football, NFL, like they got, they're so different, right? And so you're fortunate to be around this Chris Peterson experience, which is second to none. And then you meet Jim in the NFL. And the first time I met him, spent 15 minutes with him. He knew my name. He knew everything about me. I'm a third string QB, barely hanging on, <laughs> hanging on. Like he has no reason to even know who I am. Like, yeah. you know, like I should be the one introducing myself. Uh, he spends 15 minutes just talking about life, talking about, you know, family and all that sort of stuff. Has nothing to do with football, knows everything about you. Like incredible. And then you get to the point of him just being the leader and, and the coach. I thought it was really cool for me 
because at that point I, I really felt confident that like, I want to get into coaching. That, that's yeah. kind of the path Already, I want to take at that point. Yeah. I think college was kind of confirmation, but then when you're in the NFL, you know, it's like, okay, that's a different experience in college football. And can you really do it in a certain way, you know, or does everyone just, you know, college and NFL, they're, they're just different beasts and you can't do it that way. His presence and his ability to kind of, in, in a more mild manner, yeah. have such command and presence in an NFL locker room on an NFL field. It was really awesome for me to see that because, you know, I felt like I was a little bit more maybe that personality trait, you know, as far as more of a mild, like I'm not a, you know, yeller wow, screamer wow. all the time, yeah. like, you know, but like Jim just had that perfect balance of like he picked and choose his words really wisely. And when he talked, everyone listened, you know, and uh, it was incredible to be a part of. Was there one piece of advice that you've held on to or one line or one statement or one quote that you kind of brought with you along the way? I hate to put you on the spot. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, there's so many, I, I, you know, Orlowski. And so, you know, when I was there as Matthew, Dan and myself, yeah. I just remember these uh, team meetings and I just remember all the information. I couldn't keep up, you know, I'm sitting there trying to write all these notes of all these, you know, he always called it the charge in the season. And every like Wednesday he'd have some sort of like peace and it would be something. I'm just sitting there trying to like write these notes as quick as possible. And I'm looking over to Dan, like, what did you get? Did you catch? Like, I'm trying to piece this whole thing together because I, I want all this information. But uh, he had a really cool piece. He, he had a high cost for low living. It was a piece that he utilized. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about it. Just as far as the off the field stuff that players, you know, have to be aware of in the NFL, that there's a high cost for low living and the things that we do off the field that create headlines and can have huge impacts on your career. There's a high cost for those. And so he tried to educate everyone in, in the way that Jim does, which is incredible. Just educating those guys on some things. Some things are just, you know, you got to make smart decisions. We understand right and wrong. There's others that are, you know, hey, these are tricky situations. Social media has some really tricky things. And so he tried to educate guys on that. And I thought it was incredible. Your favorite Matthew Stafford throw while you were in Detroit. Is there a game, a moment where you can go back and say, you're standing on the sidelines, either you're dressed or you're not. And you're just like, holy moly, what was that? Because I, as I often say, when I interview, it's like, I was a sideline reporter and I was not on the A crew. So I got a lot of Lions yeah. games under my belt. <laughs> I was very, uh, there's a lot of, hey, what's up to Sam Martin going on um, yeah, on the yeah. sidelines there. So well, is there yeah. a Stafford throw that sticks out? I, there's one that I'll never forget that McVeigh and I still like are giddy over that when they played Washington and you guys were Detroit, obviously, he threw one in a game winner to Anquan Bolden that was just insane. That like, how does he pull yeah. it out? But you saw it every game. So something that comes to mind of just how amazing that arm talent is. There are a lot and I'll give you two. Okay. The first one is against the Bengals. Uh, <laughs> I think this is 2013, I'm going to guess. So uh, it was a ha half roll. It's like a sprint out to the right as we're rolling out. And we're just going to run a double move to Calvin Johnson. And he's going to run a little corner post. And we're going to kind of try and roll out to the right and then throw back to the left. And uh, first of all, the throw is tremendous, right? He just flicks this thing. He's, he's rolling out to his right and he's throwing it to his left. And he's just flicking this thing 50, 60 yards. And as you're looking down the field, you're like, that guy doesn't really look open. <laughs> you know, I'm on the sideline. I'm just the back of kind of hanging out. <laughs> doesn't really look open. There's about three or four Bengals jerseys down there. You know, uh, George Iloka, a Boise State Bronco being one there of them down there. And he just throws this sucker, throws up in the air. And you just see Calvin just run right through all these people, go up, leap, grab this ball. I remember talking to George after the game. He's like, I don't know what we can do. Like, <laughs> we can't stop this guy. And uh, it was a moment of like, sometimes like, you know what? 
it's players, not plays. You know, yeah, like that. that was, that's super, those two guys moment. are superhuman in what they do, and <laughs> it's fun to watch. Yeah. 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 No doubt. What was the other one? And then the second one I would think of is we played in London in 2014. Uh, Golden Tate's on the outside, and we just ran like three verts. It's like third and forever, and uh, he rips a ball down the sideline. He kind of drops back. It's a little bit of depth. He steps up in the pocket and he just rips this ball down the right sideline to uh, Golden. I mean, it's got to be 50 yards, frozen rope. I don't think the ball's more than 10, 12 feet off the ground the entire time. Just rips it right between these cover two safety and corner. I don't think anyone even considered he'd actually throw that in that situation. And he just rips this thing right in the end zone. Uh, it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then you finish your time with Detroit. You go to Dallas. Scott Linehan was there. And I imagine yeah. that's one of the reasons why uh, it was a natural thing. I don't have it in front of me. I know that Romo was there, obviously. And then the year Romo got hurt, and Dak goes in. You were hurt also that summer, if I'm not mistaken. So it's like this like sliding doors moment where like, who knows if you had had your opportunity. Do you, <laughs> do, you do you ever lose sleep on that and say, hey, you know, the starter goes down, but I too, the backup was injured. So then Dak Prescott gets a chance to showcase his skills. How, do you, how did you cope with that as a player at the time? I don't lose sleep now because I think everything happens for a reason. And it, and it kind of led me to this coaching thing, which I'll get to. But uh, at the time, yeah. So 2015, I played a couple games at the end. We were kind of... Uh, you know, we, we struggled that year. A lot of us ended up playing quarterback, Matt Castle, Whedon, Tony, myself. Uh, you know, it, it was just a rough year for for the Cowboys. And so uh, coming back, it was Tony, myself, and then uh, we ended up drafting Dak in the fourth round. And uh, I was still getting a lot of reps as, as kind of the, the number two at the time. I have a freak deal at training camp out in Oxnard the fourth day. An offense lineman kind of gets pushed back and falls back on my leg. I break my ankle. So I went back to Dallas, got surgery, kind of sitting there on the couch. And I just remember uh, you're watching because Tony was kind of dealing with some maintenance stuff at that point already with the, with the back. And so Dak was taking a ton of reps in practice. He's basically taking ones, twos, and threes, just going. And uh, they played that first game against the Rams in preseason. It's the first game in, in the L.A. Coliseum. And uh, he just goes out there and just is dealing. And it is incredible. There's two amazing touchdown passes, if I remember. Yeah. And then I think, you know, they come back, they play in Dallas, and the next week is at Seattle. And that's where Tony, you know, Tony's back goes out and he gets sacked, you know, just a kind of a freak deal. And Dak rolls out there and deals again, you know. And and, and certainly in the back of your mind as a competitor, you're kind of like, man, like there's a chance here. And, and I kind of missed the boat there. You know, and, and certainly there's a competitive side of you that kind of is challenged by that. But all things happen for a reason. A, we figured out that Dak was really, really good. I'm glad we did because he's, he's turned into such a tremendous, he's one of the premier quarterbacks in this league and uh, one of the best guys in this league. And, and he's phenomenal. I've been fortunate to be around him for such a long time. But it also led me to the coaching side, you know, because that year I was on IR and Scott and Jason were awesome with me. They allowed me to kind of stay, stay in it. I was in the quarterback room uh, trying to be a resource or help in any possible way. Uh, Tony was rehabbing. Dak was the starter now. Sanchez, Sanchez, Mark Sanchez being Mark, uh, he, he got signed like on Tuesday. <laughs> so there's a lot of moving pieces in this, in this room. And so, uh, there's an element of, Hey, can you just stay in there? So there's at least some commonality there for, for Scott and for Wade Wilson, who's our quarterback coach at the time. Uh, and so it was awesome for me because it, it let me kind of go on the other side of the thing, uh, be on the coaching side a little bit. I did some projects for them and just kind of helped in any possible way. But I think it also gave Jason and Scott a chance to kind of see me from that perspective, mm -hmm. which lo and behold, allowed me to transition right from player to coach two years later. And so I think without that moment, 
I don't think I'm doing that. I think, you know, most people would say you're crazy to go from player to coach to allow that to happen in the NFL. Can you put that then in like a more concise thing, like just as a lesson, because I think of that situation, you've played your entire career waiting for your opportunity. Finally, the opportunity arises and you can't physically go. And yet you found a way to pivot and make the most of the opportunity. I think that's a beautiful lesson for anyone in life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, we work our tail off for certain goals and aspirations and sometimes life pivots and takes you to the path that maybe, uh, leads you down something else. And certainly as a player, you want to play as long as you can. But I always knew I wanted to coach. And so I think the transition that allowed me to go through was tremendous. And sometimes you don't understand it going through it. You don't understand why why me, why this situation. It helped us figure out Dak. It helped Dak. It helped myself as my journey went on. You know, things happen for a reason. I truly believe that. It's beautiful. Uh, and now I look at it like in Denver and I'm friendly with Sean Payton. He hired Davis Webb, a 28 year old as the quarterback's yep. coach. I, I'm not going to say you broke down those doors, but you certainly laid the blueprint of, Hey, it's possible for these guys to go straight from the playing field to the coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And I was fortunate. I basically moved one chair over, you know, <laughs> instead of being next to the computer, I was running the computer. Other than <laughs> that, uh, it was the same room. And so, uh, you know, I was really fortunate for that. I think, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. You can go as long or as quick as you want on this. If I just say the name and you did say he was one of the great humans, Dak Prescott, because I feel like we take it for granted what a guy is Walter Payton man of the year. And he goes out there and he's got such consistency when he's on the field and yet hasn't won the big one. And there are always critics with him. But as a player and as a man, your experience with Dak Prescott, what would you want listeners to know? The best person. Uh, I think uh, the best leader I've ever been around uh, easily. And in all honesty, player or coach or anything, uh, I think his ability to connect with a team in all spectrums is rare, and I've never seen it in any other way. His work ethic, his command, I, I think he's incredible. And so I, I know, you know, we've all been through that Dallas journey, and he, he has a phenomenal way of being able to deal with probably more than your average NFL starting quarterback, and uh, he handles it beautifully. And, you know, he's certainly, uh, certainly a guy you forever root for. That's awesome, man. All right, we do rapid fire. I just ask you some quick questions about philosophy, about your history in the NFL, and then we, we wrap it up. I'm loving this, um, and I appreciate you taking the time, especially during this vacation week from it all. You would say your mentor in football is whom? I would say my two most prominent ones are my dad, okay. Prosser Mustangs, and Chris Peterson. Okay. You know, just those two stops of life, uh, you know, I think those, those were the foundations for who I am. You played with guys like Calvin Johnson. You've also played with, uh, you, you play with superstars like Des Bryant. You play with all these great NFL players. The most freakish athlete that you have played with in NFL is who? Calvin by, by far. Yeah. Like <laughs> Calvin, I think was just, he's just different. I, I like, you know, I remember the first time. So I'm a rookie. I show up to OTAs and they got, uh, we're in the red zone for some reason. I think it, was, it had to have been a screw up. Calvin's on the field when I'm on the field, which shouldn't be going on. I'm the third string QB. Uh, and we call a red zone play and there's like two guys in the back line. And I happened to throw to the guy on the right who was Titus Young at the time that I had played with Boise. Crazy, Boise. And uh, Matthew and Sean Hill being the backup at the time, who's phenomenal. He just looks at me and says, if that other guy's ever on the field, just throw it. The rest of the time, if for whatever reason that guy's on the field, just throw it to him. And that was like the simplest lesson. Hey, uh, that guy's different than any other human being that you'll ever be around. 
Yeah. Uh, growing up, who was the player? And you mentioned those those Mustangs that you liked, but who was the player in the NFL that you aspired to be or that you saw and said, hey, maybe someday? Um, growing up in the Northwest, Hasselbeck was my guy. Like, yeah, Matt really? Was, I, I, I just, love that. I loved his presence. I does Matthew man. know that? I think he would really love hearing that. Does he know that? Have you told him I that? hope he does. I, I, I am a disciple of the Matt Hasselbeck passing academy. Okay? okay. So so this is a camp that he put on. Oh yeah. He put on. Yep. I think I'm one of like two guys, uh, whoever got out of there that, you know, got to the NFL, but I was there, you know, Seneca Wallace was my camp counselor, Hell yeah. uh, you know, and, and that was, that was my guy. I, I loved his command, the way he played, like the, he, he was always having fun. Like that was yeah. the, the coolest thing to me. It was like, this is the NFL and this guy's just like smiling, having fun, loving this thing. Who is the biggest personality that you've come across in the NFL? Ooh, that's interesting. You could take that anywhere you want. The biggest alpha, yeah. the most hilarious, whoever it is. Yeah, that is a great question. And I got, uh, man, you can go a lot of different ways here. I think biggest personality, like Dez was so much fun. Yeah. I think because, you know, he's like a kid in the sense that when he was playing there, and I say that in the most positive way. Like yeah. he just wanted to throw up, play catch all day, joy. every day. Just pure joy. Oh, pure I remember joy Dez football, like, during warmups, the trainers coming up to me at the Cowboys being like, we have to keep an eye on Dez because he gets so excited during warmups. I was like, I love that. <laughs> gonna go there. I mean, he'll, he'll, he'll grab every equipment guy, every like strength coach. He just wants to play catch the entire pregame. And even during practice, like if the defense is going, he's over there like, hey, hey, come over here to the other field. Like I just want, I just want to run some routes and catch. Like, and he just wants to catch all day long. And I thought it was so cool. Like in, it, it was the most fun. Uh, he truly just loved playing football. I love that. Uh, do you have a good Jerry Jones story? That's like I say, safe for, but like, you know, it's a Jerry Jones story <laughs> that we could all say. That's pretty cool. Oh. Uh, I love Jerry. I, I could think of two probably. One being for my first three or four years, he thought I was Keelan, <laughs> but I was the third string QB, so I wasn't going to say a word. Uh, so, why would you? Uh, even even when I was first the uh, you know I first got a chance to be the coordinator, I think I was still Keelan at the time, but I wasn't going to say anything. So I just kind of rolled with his <laughs> Keelan. Every once in a while, I was Colin, uh, but you know you just kind of go with it. You know, like hey. I'm good. It's Jerry Jones. What am I doing? I'm employed. Yeah. I'm happy. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And so in Dallas, there was a, there tended to be a little bit of a running joke that I was I was Keelan, not Kellen. But uh, Love it. you know, the the other one I would think of was when we first got to the star. This was probably 2017 or 18. One of those one of those OTA times. And, and for people who understand the star, there's a lot of commercial stuff going on around it as well as the football, right? Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, we're going through an OTA practice. Jason was the head coach at the time. And uh, the the uh, security officer, you know, the guy who kind of runs security there, Cable Johnson, happens to come out and he's kind of waving Jason down in the middle of the practice, like, "Hey, we got to move, we got to move." And uh, the football team, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, and Jason has that dumbfounded look, like, "What are you talking about? Like, we're, we're in the middle of practice." He's like, "We got to move. The chopper's coming. <laughs> the chopper's coming." And awesome. it's like straight out, straight out of a movie. Everyone's kind of like, wait, so are we supposed to pause practice? And you see this chopper come whipping around the uh, the, the buildings at, at the uh, at the star. And here, sure enough, here comes the chopper. It's got to land. It's got to land it right lands now. right on the field. <laughs> and so everyone kind of cleared off. We had a nice little like extended water break. The chopper came through, got uh, got everyone where they needed to be, and then uh, then practice resumed. And so, oh, that's uh, so good. It, it was quite the experience. But that is so good. Yeah, I loved it. You know, Jerry Jerry's the absolute best. It's the biggest show in town, man. <laughs> It is. And, and I think he's still, everyone, what he does, the other owners still, in a lot of ways, still follow. He's still the leader of that group. And of course, the NFL, he's one of the biggest characters himself. My last question, um, 
your message to Chargers fans as we head to 2023, and they're so excited. In fact, I was looking at a podcast. It's like the Locked On Chargers podcast, and it's like, are we too excited for Kellen Moore's offense? <laughs> like, it's getting to that point. What would be your message for a fan base that is just so hungry for some success? Yeah, I think we're just we're just gonna have fun. We're just gonna go for it. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that we're excited for is. Uh, we got a group who can do do some really good things, and uh, we're excited to build this thing for 2023. And so, uh, whatever that offense ends up looking like as we go through training camp, we'll build it however we need to. But uh, you know, we're going to be aggressive. And we're going to go for it. I said in the monologue that there's uh, an annual party out in the Hamptons in New York, and it's thrown by Michael Rubin, who's the CEO of Fanatics and the biggest stars in music and the biggest stars in the NBA go. And every year there's a couple NBA guys that make it. Would you say Justin Herbert's probably not going to be at that party? <laughs> probably not. Probably not. I think he's <laughs> Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> He'll be in Eugene, Oregon, watching fireworks from a far distance away, thinking about football, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. Uh, Kellen Moore, this was awesome. We appreciate you taking the time. You went 40 minutes, went overtime with us. And I can't say uh, how excited I am enough for this Chargers offense with you and Herbert together. But I also know Brandon Staley quite well and think you guys are going to be a great team uh, as far as offensive coordinator slash head coach uh, or offensive coordinator and then him as the head coach. Um, but I just thank you for coming on the podcast. It was really cool of you to do this. No, I appreciate it. Thanks, Peter. That was awesome. Kellen Moore, great. Um, if you're a Chargers fan, you got to come away from that thing just feeling confident that you're, you're in competent hands and Justin Herbert's in a very good situation. Uh, to you guys, the listeners, thanks so much. Enjoy your July 4th weekend. Continue to subscribe. Tell your friends. I don't think any other podcast is doing it the way we are. We're getting these guys that uh, don't have to do it. They're doing it voluntarily. This isn't through an entire you know booking situation. These are me reaching out to these coaches and these GMs and them agreeing to do it. And it's so appreciated. Kellen Moore is a great interview. He's also a great dad and, and leader of men. So I'm excited to see what they do in LA, but I'm also excited to see who we get up next on this podcast. Uh, enjoy July 4th, everyone. Please be safe. Do not drink and drive uh, and just enjoy the time away if you can get some. All right, till next week. Thank you. I'm Peter Schrager, Aaron Juan Kaufman, the producer. Uh, Grace Fuse just kicking butt as a fill-in producer also the editor of this thing Jason English and then of course all the NFL Network folks on the West Coast enjoy July 4th everybody The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.